I'm going to share with you tonight a word that I'm really excited about because um, I've, you know, you receive a word from the Lord and then he crosses you, your path with people and they just keep confirming that word and confirming that word. So I am so excited about this word tonight because I know that you sort of felt like you ended up here by chance or, you know, hey, it was in the schedule or, hey, you hit all the green lights on Research Forest. But I want you to know you're here because God has a word for you. You are here because he ordered your steps and he organized your day and he had a divine appointment with you tonight in this place. And I am excited about that. And I'm excited to get to open up the word with you. And if you have your Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 15. So you can go ahead and like put your finger there and hold it. And I'm going to talk tonight about um, how to make it through a hard day. And I know that many of you could probably preach this sermon better than I could because you have your PhD in hard days, you know? But the fact of the matter is that we can get through the good days pretty good. Like, it doesn't take a whole lot, you know, when we win the lottery. It doesn't take a whole lot when our car starts. It's when we catch the flat and we realize there's a lot more months than there is paycheck, the hard days that we could probably use some pointers on. So that's what I'm going to share with you tonight from John 15, and I'm going to pray and ask the Lord for his help, okay? Lord Jesus, Father, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you that it is the only thing that you tell us that won't return void. God, it's the only thing with promise. Lord, if we sow this word into our lives, we will be changed. That's the deal. And so, God, tonight, I ask that you would just prepare hearts to receive your word. Lord, that you would enable me to be laser-focused. Holy Spirit, that you would give my mind complete attention, and you would use my lips, and that you would speak a word to your people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we're in John 15, verse 4, and I'm going to read it tonight from the New King James Version. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry about it. We got it up on the screen here. But it says here in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So if you have a pencil or you have a pen, just underline, apart from me, you can do nothing. And maybe you have lip gloss or chapstick or you can prick your finger right now and get a drop of blood, whatever you have to do to highlight that part. You know, uh, without me, you can do nothing. And verse six says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. So I, uh, 
I'm going to just sort of camp on that section of scripture, and, and I'm sorry, I'm going to get this microphone fixed. I have one pair of Cleet-approved earrings, and Cleet is our sound guy. I have one pair, and so I wear them every time I preach, but I think it must like throw the equilibrium of my earlobes off, because then the mic doesn't fit. So I'm going to, oops, sorry. I'm going to fix that really quick. We'll edit this from the tape, so it'll be good, right? Oh, Yeah. So I was thinking about how to, you know, unpack this scripture, and you guys know my gift. My ministry is the awkward moment. I've shared that before. And a couple of weeks ago, I had one of those days, the kind of days that the song was singing about. Mama said you'd have days like this. And my day started with I got up and I realized, man, I got to think about what I want to put on because my friend challenged me on Facebook to pour a bucket of water on my head, and I don't want to do it in wrinkled clothes. Like, what if people share it or tag me? I want to look nice when I pour a bucket of ice water on my head, right? This is how women think. So I got up and I ironed clothes for the first time in 10 years. (laughs) I actually had to ask my husband how to turn the iron on. No joke. But I got it done. Amen. So I ironed my clothes, and I'm feeling very accomplished, you know, because I ironed my clothes. This is going to be a great day. I'm like relishing one of the last summer mornings with my kids. We're just spending time visiting and laughing. And I hear the trash truck. And it occurs to me, oh my gosh, we didn't pull the cans out to the driveway. So enough huggy kissy. Children, go run, 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 run. Take the trash out. And I think, whoa, I am two for two, people. My clothes are ironed, and I beat waste management to the curb. This is a red-letter day. So I feed my kids, and I go to feed Charlie, who's our latest addition, our cute miniature schnauzer. And I let him out for his morning constitutional, and I realize the kids have not closed the gate. And I watch a miniature schnauzer taste freedom for the first time in six months. And that dog could be a greyhound. He can run so fast. And so I'm sitting there. I run out the front door. No flip-flops, but my clothes are ironed. And I chase a miniature schnauzer two blocks through my neighborhood. My neighbors, I'm telling you, my pedicure was shot to bits. But my neighbors, I was thankful that I actually got up and got dressed. Because I'll be honest with you, most days I can't go out in public with what I've got on until I leave for the office. But this day I got lucky. The kids are running around in the front yard in their pajamas. They're really excited because this is, you know, exciting that mom's chasing the dog through the neighborhood. And I'm like, kids, get the leash, get the leash. They can't find the leash. So I carry a 15-pound schnauzer all the way home on my ironed clothes. So I'll have dog hair in the picture, but at least I'll be ironed. Finally, you know, the sitter comes. I'm like, okay, great. You know, we can get the day back on track. I get to the office. This is no joke. I put my bag down, and I think, I can now do the Lord's work. I am here at the office. Thank you, Lord. Let's start the day over. No joke. I sat my purse down. Sarah, we've got some lights that won't come on in the room. Can you come take a look, see what you can figure out? Now, I'm going to let you in on a secret that nobody else knows. I know absolutely nothing about panels and electricity. You know what I mean? I can turn a light on and that's it. But I think, you know what? I'm going to act like I know what I'm doing because I got to fake it until I can make it. So I walk in this utility closet. I try to figure out what's going on, and I step smack dab in the middle of a rat glue trap in the cutest pair of flip-flops I own. 
My Vera Bradley flip-flops are the only thing that stinking rat trap has ever caught is my flip-flop. So I'm telling, uh, flump, flump, flump. I'm like, I'm sorry. We'll get those lights on for you in just a moment. I need to call someone. Flump, flump, flump. I get back to my desk and I'm like, oh my gosh, what else is going to go on today? And I sit down, cross my legs. One foot is firmly glued to the floor. The other is on my desk and I hear the gardeners and they're like pruning all of our trees and they're mulching our beds and they're getting everything spruced up. And I kind of felt the Lord in that moment because they're putting all of this brush on their trailer and the brush looks great. It's very healthy. It's green. It's got lots of leaves. And I thought if I didn't know any better, I'd think that those are bushes they're planting instead of bushes they're pruning. But the chainsaws gave it away. And I felt the Lord in that moment. And he said, Sarah, you know, the bushes on the back of that trailer will start to wither by nightfall, but they look pretty good now. And most people can fake it for a season, but eventually the sun and the heat and the loneliness and the stress get to them just like they get to everything else and they'll wither. And this is the part of the story I didn't tell you in the beginning, but I felt the Lord get me up about 6.30 because I'm on this routine of trying to pray more and spend more time with the Lord. And my husband gets up like an hour before I do. And so it's a good time for me to spend time with the Lord before the kids are up and he's kind of doing his thing. And I chose my pillow that morning instead of spending time with him. And and at, at the end of the day, guys, I would have had the same day because I step in rat traps. That's just the way my mornings go. And I chase schnauzers. That's just my lot in life. But the difference is that I probably would not have withered by 8.30 in the morning. I probably would have had more staying power had I spent a little bit more time in the Lord. And tonight, if you're taking notes, if we're going to make it through a hard day, the first point that I have to share with you is abide. And it's the way we should live all 365 days, no matter what happens. And abide is this great old school word that nobody really uses anymore, but it's in the, in the New King James Version. And abide is an action word. It means to hold to, to cling to, to uh, obey, to comply with. And I think that as believers, we sort of approach our walk as something that we do rather than something that we should just be that we just are in his presence, that we abide in him, that we rest in him, that prayer is not something that we do on Sundays, but it's sort of the way we just exhale and inhale our day. Like, Lord, I just thank you for this day. Or, you know, God, I just walking down the hall between meetings, Lord, you're so good. Or Lord, you've got to help me in this meeting. Or Lord, you know, I just want to say thank you turn the key on and head home. You know, that abiding is one of those things that we don't really talk a lot about because it's kind of that old school word. But if we're going to make it through a hard day, we got to kind of go back to the old school ways and say, you know what, if we're going to make it through a hard day and not wither before 830 in the morning, we're going to have to abide. Plain and simple. You know, sometimes I'm guilty of this. I reverse engineer it. And I think that if I'm being really productive and I'm getting results, that God must be with me. But at the end of the day, my productivity and results should be out of the abundance of spending time with him. 
that they're a natural result of spending time with him instead of an effort and an exercise that I go through. And the difference is that when I sit there and my day goes crazy, I'm not upset that what I've worked on and the productivity and the work of my hands has gone crazy because then I'm going to lose hope. But that I'm able to sit back and relax and say, well, Lord, my fruit should be out of an abundance of the time I've spent with you if we abide. So there's this, uh, I was reading in the word and it's in Psalm 1. And it's a psalm you guys probably know. It's very, you know, very popular for refrigerator magnets and bumper stickers. But it says uh, in Psalm 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. So I was reading this verse and it reminded me of a story. I don't have very much of a green thumb. Like, I'm pretty sure I could kill a cactus. I'm just shooting you guys straight. It's just the way it is. But I got this like burr under my saddle and I told Todd, I said, I want a lemon tree. I'm convinced we live in Texas. It's hot like 10 months out of the year. Our right as Texans is that we can grow our own citrus. Like that's the trade-off we get for 100 degrees days and bird-sized mosquitoes. We get to grow our own citrus. And so Todd like humors me and we go to the Houston Garden Center and I'm like, I'm here to buy a lemon tree. And the gardener's there and he's like, ma'am, lemon trees take a lot of water. And I'm like, well, what's a lot? I water once a week. You know, we got a little sprinkler system. He's like gallons of water. Now, Todd's ears have now perked up because Todd pays the water bill. You know, and he says, I'm sorry, did you say gallons of water? And I'm like, Todd, think about it. These lemons are 29 cents a piece at Kroger. We are going to save so much money. He's like, Sarah, it's going to cost us $100 to water a tree, and you use one lemon a week. It is going to take a lot of lemons to equal all the water I'm pouring in the ground. I was like, wait, why you got to be that way? Why do you got to go all math on me? You know? That is, talk about a buzzkill, you know? Break out the calculator. That's my husband. But I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, I'm reading in Psalm 1 and I was praying and I was like, Lord, yes. Verse 3, Lord, I want to be a person who is planted by streams of water. Mm-hmm. I don't want my leaf to wither. Mm-hmm. Lord, I want to bear fruit in season. Yes, Lord. And I want everything that I touch to prosper. That's verse 3. And I was praying that and speaking that into my family and into my life. And I felt the Lord tug on my sleeve and he said, to get verse three, you have to do verse two. And I said, well, wait a second. Let me go up. Let me read read verse two real quick. Whose delight is in the Lord, who abides in the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. 
who stays in his presence, who is constantly supping on the word of God, who is sitting there and saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, if my heart is not your heart, make my heart your heart. Your promise is that you'll give me a new heart. So I'm not even asking you to patch my old one up. Just give me a new one. And when you live like that, you're like planted by streams of living water. You don't wither. You bear fruit in good season and in true season, and everything you touch prospers. I was like, wow, okay, so I've got some homework to do. And I thought about the lemon tree, and I thought, you know, why do lemon trees have to have so much water? And the gardener's like, the reason they've got to have so much water, like gallons every day, is that their fruit is primarily water. And so they're pulling all of that water up through their roots to produce a very juicy fruit. That's just the way citrus works. And in the same way with you and I, if we're going to produce fruit, it's going to take gallons and gallons of abiding in his presence so that we can pull it up through our roots and we start to see a fruit that resembles love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all of the fruits of the Spirit. Because those things are not naturally cultivated in our flesh. That stuff is not just going to spring up. Like, oh, look, a lemon tree just grew up out of nowhere. How about that? That mean old crotchety woman, she just started loving people. It does not happen like that. (laughs) It does not happen. You got to cultivate that stuff. It takes gallons and cultivation. And then all of a sudden you have this fruit. And what I love about people who abide in the Lord, it's just like these lemons. You can smell it on them. You can smell it on them. You know they've spent time with the Lord. You know that they abide because you smell heaven on them. You know, they have a bad day and they don't wither. Not because the day wasn't terrible, but because they have fruit to sustain them. You sit there and you're like, man, how do you come back from a loss like that, man? How do you bury a child? How do you, man, how do you come back after the person you've been married to walks out? That is hard stuff, but I still smell heaven on you because they've been abiding for years and years and for months and for months. And their reward is there in due season to get them through. So how do we make it through a hard day? We abide 365 days a year. Amen. All right. So, oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to throw these other two points in for free, y'all. So the second point, if you're taking notes, is you appreciate the silver lining. And this is the deal. Finding the silver lining is a, is a bit of a gift in today's culture because everybody can tell you what's wrong. Few people can tell you what's right. People will line up and tell you what's wrong with America. <laughs> Find me one person who will tell you what's right with America. You know, those people are usually on Facebook or something, you know, the kid that wins the bake sale. Those are the kinds of stories we like gravitate to as Americans because everything's so negative. So finding the silver lining is a bit of a lost art. 
And I'm not here tonight to say be Pollyanna about it. You know what I mean? Some days are hard. Some situations are rough. And when I say find the silver lining, we stay honest about the reality of the situation. But we look upward instead of inward when we assess the situation. So we sit here and we're like, okay, Sarah, the silver lining in my situation is that I have this sack of ashes which represents, you know, <laughs> this relationship that just burned up in my life. So find a silver lining in that. Or Sarah, you know what? I just saw my career die because, you know, automation is taking over and something that I've trained for my whole life, I'm now, where am I going to work? I'm 45 years old. How am I going to start over? So I'm grieving the loss of a career. Or Sarah, you know what, man, I am just heavy in spirit. I face the same old things every day. So find the silver lining in that. And I meet you in the lobby and I see you in my office and I'm always like amazed at your testimonies. And I think, you know what, God, you are amazing because you know the metal of those people because you tell us you won't put anything on us that we can't bear and that we can't stand. And so, Lord, I hear these people's testimonies and I'm like, they've got a backbone of steel. They have shoulders that are wide. And I feel like you're looking at me and you're like, okay, so find me the silver lining, Sarah. And I want to share a verse with you. It's in Isaiah 61.3. And it says, to console those who mourn, this is God talking, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Sometimes the best thing you can say about a situation is you got a sack of ashes. And God says, you know what? I'll take it. I'm going to make you a trade you won't regret. And you say, Lord, all I've got is grief and mourning. He says, you know what? I'll trade you that for joy. You say, all I've got is the spirit of heaviness. He says, I'll trade you. And sometimes the silver lining is going to our God with the reality of our situation and letting him make the exchange. Sometimes we go wrong because when we go to make the exchange, we look inward. What do I need to do different? How should I be planning this? Should I be working this system a little bit differently? I wonder, da 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 And we look inward and we get even more depressed when we should look upward and make good on the trade he's offered to make for us. Amen? There's this great story in the Old Testament in Genesis about a woman named Leah. And um, she was a sister to another woman named Rachel. And this guy named Jacob goes to work for his uncle. And he falls in love with Rachel. And he goes to his uncle and he says, hey, you know, I don't have a lot of money, but I'll work for you in exchange for your daughter's hand in marriage. And the uncle says, sure, you betcha. I'll, I'll do that deal. So he works seven years for this woman. And, you know, it comes time for the wedding, and uncle does the old switcheroo and fools Jacob and gives Jacob the older sister, Leah, instead of the woman that he worked for for seven years. Scripture says that he loved Rachel so much that he worked seven years for her, but it felt like a day. That's amazing. That's a love story, y'all. Put that in a Hallmark card. I should walk up to Todd. Honey, 
Does it feel like you've worked for me a day? I'm not going to ask him that because I'll be disappointed in how he answers it. <laughs> He's sniffing my lemons. But, you know, he loves this woman. He's worked. And now he's got Leah. And so now we step in Leah's shoes and scripture tells us that she was unloved. Unloved. Her husband was very honest. I got fooled. I got bamboozled. But what's done is done. So we're stuck together. You got your marriage week and now I'm going to work for the woman I love. And this is who I'm going to build my life with. So you're Leah. You're unloved. You're in a loveless marriage and you're lonely. You can't even go to your family. Can't even go to your sister for consolation. Well, scripture tells us that she prays and the Lord hears her and that she has a son. And we kind of see how she wrestles with this situation in the way she names her children. Because names were a big deal back in Bible times. And so it says that the Lord sees her and to console her, he opens up her womb and she has a son. And her first son, she names Reuben. And she says, behold, I have a son. My husband will love me. That's what Reuben means. Behold, I have a son. And then she gives the son to her husband. Time goes on and he's still in love with Rachel. And her situation has not changed. And she keeps looking for that silver lining. And it says that the Lord enables her to conceive again. And she has a second son. And we get to see, okay, what's in her mind in the way she names the second son? And she names the second son Simeon. And she goes, behold, the Lord has heard me. My husband will love me. She's still looking for that silver lining in her sons and in herself and in her husband. And nothing changes. Her husband is still in love with her sister. She's still lonely. She's still in a loveless marriage. So she prays and she calls out to God and she has a third son. And we see her name him and we get to see where she's at. And this son is Levi. And she says, you know what? Jacob may not love me, but maybe he'll be joined to me. Maybe we could at least be civil. Maybe we could just be partners. Like, you were dealt a bad hand, I was dealt a bad hand, but let's just work with what we got. You know, we got three children together. We can make this work. And she names him Levi. My husband will at least be joined to me. Nothing changes. Still looking for the silver lining in all the wrong places. So finally, she conceives and she has a fourth son. And she realizes, you know what? This situation is not going to get better with children. The situation is not going to get better with me working it. The situation's not going to get better if Jacob wakes up and decides to love me. And we see her mindset in how she names her fourth son. And she names him Judah. And that means, I will praise the Lord. She finally stops looking inward. And she starts looking upward. And she finds the silver lining. She's still in a loveless marriage. She's still in a hard place. She's still striving with her sister. But you know what? I will praise the Lord, Judah. And you see this woman 
and she finds the silver lining. The end of her story is she goes on to have more children. And it says that when Jacob went to bury her, it says he respected her. Not that he loved her, but he mourned her and he respected her. And Paul goes on to say, may you, actually it's, it's when Ruth has a son, may you build up the house of Israel like, it, like Leah. How does a woman in a loveless marriage build up the house of Israel and give us 10 out of the 12 tribes? I will praise the Lord, Judah. Some days you're in a hard day and the best thing you can say Judah. I will praise the Lord. That's my silver lining. You know what, Lord? Judah. You know what I mean? I'm not looking inward. I'm looking upward. Oh yeah, the car's got a flat. Judah. You know, the kids come to you. (laughs) Hey, mommy, talk to you about this. Judah. Just answer everybody Judah from now on. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Judah. That's where we're at. That's the silver lining. I'm going to try that on Pastor Frankie. Maybe we're in a staff meeting sometime. Hey, Sarah, you got those fourth quarter numbers? Judah. (laughs) See how far that gets. I'll join LinkedIn and put my resume up there. So we're going to make it through a hard day. We're going to abide and we're going to appreciate the silver lining. And the last thing we're going to do is we're going to accept the fact that thank goodness there is another day. (laughs) Sometimes the best thing I can say about a day is thank you, Lord, that's over. Anybody ever woke up like that? You know the day you're facing. You're like, Lord, I thank you that there's only 12 hours of this. I can do 12 hours standing on my head. Ask any woman who's had a baby. She could do 12 hours standing on her head. Lord, I thank you that this dissertation is going to last 45 minutes. I can do this. And you kind of pace yourself and coach yourself and get through it. God created time and he gets it. And I love when you read the story in Genesis, the creation story, God created time on the first day. It says that he separated the light from the darkness. And on the first day, there was day, there was morning, and there was evening. That's how God starts creation. He starts time. And he starts time not because, you know, we're going to have to figure out how to bill people for prime time. You know, we're going to have to figure out where we're going to place Monday night football. You know, is that going to be at 7 or 8 central? No, that's not how God starts time. He starts time because he's got the day in mind that he's going to create man. And he's going to know that man is going to need day and evening. And there's only so much a man can do in a day. And sometimes the best thing to do in a hard day is to just go to sleep, wake up the next day. Because the promise is that we get new mercy <laughs> in that day. And sometimes you got to have a little extra dose of mercy. <laughs> you know, you get through your 24-hour period and you're like, Lord, I'm going to have to go to sleep because I'm going to need another dose of mercy for the next 24 hours. And you read in Psalm 91.1. And it says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That's our inheritance. I have many a night laid in bed, awake, staring at the ceiling, because I don't know what it is, but my brain turns on like when I lay down. I don't know if anybody else is like that. It's crazy. And it's so frustrating. You're like, why could I not have this internal conversation at six o'clock? Why has it got to be 
10 o'clock. And I sit there and I remind myself, no, Lord, you know what? My promise is he that dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Lord, rest is my inheritance. And rest is what you promised me, so rest is what I'm going to claim. You know, Todd and I have this rule in our house. It's called the 10 p.m. rule. We are not allowed to discuss anything that costs money, that is related to our parenting, or our in-laws after 10 p.m. <laughs> that is our unspoken rule. Because Todd knows at 10 o'clock he's spent. And we've pretty much used up the mercy on the day. And he's like, nothing good is going to come out of this conversation. I'm not at my best. We would be better served discussing whether or not we are going to put new countertops in our kitchen at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning rather than 10 o'clock tonight. You know what I mean? And sometimes you and I just got to be hip to where the enemy tries to force us to have a conversation at his opportune time and not our opportune time. And a bad day goes from bad to really bad. We're not sensitive to that. You know, I love that scripture says that he's mindful of our frame. He knows what we can take. And he knows that sometimes we just got to eat and sleep and then get up the next day and face it. You know, um, there's a prophet, his name was Elijah, and it says that he's running for his life, running for his life from Jezebel. And she says, I am going to kill you. You have defamed, you know, the prophets of Baal, and I'm going to kill you. And he's running for his life. And he gets to the side of this river, and he says, Lord, just take my life. It's not even worth living. And the angel of the Lord says, go to sleep. Go to sleep. And fixes him something to eat. He wakes up. He eats a little something. The angel says, go back to sleep. You know, sometimes we just don't have any perspective because we haven't had any rest And Elijah finally is eaten and he's rested and he gets to this place of shelter and he hears the voice of the Lord and he calls out to God and he says, Lord, you know what, my life, you might as well just take it. You know, things are not going well. I am the only one left. I am the only prophet you have. And the voice of the Lord comes to him and says, I have 7,000 prophets who have not bowed their knee to Baal that you don't even know about. I have hidden them and protected them. And Elijah sits back and goes, that's good to know. That's good to know. (laughs) And I think so many of, so many of us, I know myself, I get my finger in God's chest. I say, I am the only one left in this house that picks up socks. I am the only one left in the woodlands that will let people in in traffic. I am the only person left who's willing to do X, Y, and Z. Fill in the blank. I'm the only person at the office who's kind. I'm the only person in this marriage who is loving. I am the only person with my child who I am constantly trying to nurture and develop, but they keep slapping my wrist. We all have those seasons where we feel like we're the only person. We feel like Elijah. If it can happen to a guy who called down fire from heaven, it can happen to us, right? And we just have to be sensitive to know if we're tired and we're hungry and sometimes we just need to go to bed and face another day because he's got prophets and he's got things in motion that we don't even know anything about because we're too tired to even be able to absorb it and to process it. So if we're going to make it through a hard day, that's my triple A approach, y'all. We're going to abide. (laughs) We're going to appreciate the silver lining and we're going to live for another day. Just get up and face it tomorrow. 
And I'll be honest, I could have preached a one-point sermon because you can't appreciate the silver lining and you can't rest and go to sleep unless you're doing the first one, which is abide. (laughs) So if the only thing you get out of this whole night is one word, let it just resonate in your spirit. Abide, abide, abide. I'm not saying you pitch a tent here and you like shower at the church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that you just practice his presence. You look for the opportunity to engage a God who loves you. You just say, Lord, it's good to see you this morning. Thank you for waking me up. Lord, I thank you, Father, for this job. I thank you for the way it provides for my family. God, I thank you so much for this food. I know there are people that don't eat today, but I thank you for this food. You know, gratitude is the antidote to bitterness and want. When we practice his presence, it makes us grateful because we feel so loved. We feel so provided for. We feel so worth, worth. Like he just invests in us so the holy God sees that. And it changes our whole perspective. I'm going to close with a story, and Isaiah is going to come up and help me. There's a man who um, you probably know, and you don't even realize you know, but he shows us how to live through a hard day or through a hard season. And his story is one that, um, gosh, you look back and you're like, how did he do it? How did he get through that? You know, I chased a schnauzer. You know, I stepped in a rat glue trap. At the end of the day, I'm a little inconvenienced. But on the whole, a bad day can be a lot of other things, you know? So we have this guy. His name is Horatio Spafford. And he is a successful lawyer. And he's at one of the biggest firms in Chicago. And he's made a lot of money. And he's good friends with Dwight L. Moody. You guys know Dwight L. Moody was that big evangelist in the United States. He actually built the first YMCA. And he did these huge crusades. Thousands of Americans came to know the Lord through Dwight L. Moody. He was a layperson. Layperson decided he was going to preach the gospel to his countrymen. And he was known as America's first Sunday school teacher. He just took his Sunday school to America. So he's good friends with Dwight L. Moody, and um, he has five children, and they live in Chicago, and right after he's invested in Moody's ministry, his youngest child and his only son dies of scarlet fever. And he and his wife are looking at each other, and they're like, what? You know, what is this? God, you know, we're, we're broken. Like, we didn't expect this. But they keep serving the Lord. They keep doing what they know to do to praise him in good times and bad. And they keep giving to Moody's ministry. Well, um, about the time that they're finally getting back on their feet from losing a child, the great Chicago fires break out. And Spafford loses most of his wealth because he invested in warehouses along the water district in Chicago and everything is gone. So, Spafford, this is within a year of losing a child. Spafford sits back and he's like, I've lost a child. And now I've lost just about all my life savings. And he and his wife keep doing what they know how to do. They abide. 
They keep praising. They keep worshiping. They keep serving the Lord. Finally, Moody says, you know what? You need a change in scenery. I'm going to do a crusade over in England. Come. Come with me. Bring the wife and children. You guys need a vacation. Come see the work that your gifts are accomplishing. So wife and kids, they're packing up. They're on a steamboat because that's how you used to get to England in the 1870s. And the Chicago zoning board knocks on his door night before he's supposed to leave and says, Mr. Spafford, there is a zoning commission meeting tomorrow. You have to be there. The fire, we don't know where anybody's property lines are. It is just all cinders and ashes. And we're trying to redraw plots and you're going to have to be there because we're going to have to know what you hold, you know, what your neighbor held, deeds. We're going to have to reconstruct all of this. And he's like, well, I'm supposed to get on a boat and take my wife and kids to Europe. And they're like, if you don't show up at the zoning commission meeting, we can't promise you what's going to happen. The wife looks at him and says, look, I'll take the girls. He had four daughters. She said, I'll take the girls. We'll go ahead. You meet us in London later. The wife and children get on the boat. In the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, the boat collides with another boat. And within 12 minutes, it sinks. Spafford is sitting in Chicago, and he gets a telegram from England. And it's two words from his wife. Saved alone. Spafford is like, what? I've lost a son. I've lost most of my life savings. And now I've lost my four children. So he's reeling from this, and he gets passage because he's got to go to London. He's got to go retrieve his wife and bring her home. And we're told that he asked the captain on the boat to stop at the exact coordinates that his children died because he wants to see their graves. So he's like, you know what, if I'm going to visit their graves, you're going to have to stop in the middle of the ocean. So the captain gets the coordinates and he knocks on Spafford's door and he says, hey, this is as close as we can determine that the Havre de Grace, the boat your children were on, went down. And Spafford goes up on the deck and he surveys the ocean and he writes this poem. He just pours his heart out to God and his friend put the poem to music. And I want you to hear his words and Isaiah and the team are gonna sing it and sing his poem. And then I'm going to come up here and I'm going to dismiss us. But just enjoy his poem and hear his words.
feel like you're in a boat in the middle of an ocean of grief and you are surveying all that you have lost and you're sitting there and you're like, God, what do I do with this? I want to encourage you to come up to this altar and to drop anchor. Don't rush off to where you think hope can be found. I want you to stop and where hope is waiting to meet you and to pour your heart out to God and leave this place able to say, it is well with my soul. Spafford could not write that of his own will or his own reconciliation of thoughts or his own conscience. It took supernatural peace that passes an understanding to lose a son, to lose four children, to lose all you have and still say, it is well with my soul. And for you and I, we go through hard days and it doesn't make sense, but we still have the ability to say, Judah, I will praise the Lord. It is well with my soul.